0: I think that you should be leveraging on top of that is more so around the ability to focus on the customer. And so many people, obviously right now retention is incredibly important. And in like in a down market, how do we focus on like the NRR? versus the ARR. And um, whether it's customer celebration or to prevent churn or to help with renewals, everyone wants to feel surprised and delighted. Even if they're a customer of yours, why wouldn't you send them something? Like you're you're using gifting and direct mail to acquire new clients, but what you really should be focusing on is the ones that you have. You're listening to the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, where we interview top marketing
1: leaders at high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest growing, most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online, a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, ho And book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I'm with Nick Bennett. Nick was voted as one of LinkedIn's top 100 creators. He shares his experiences with personal branding, evangelism, and customer marketing daily on LinkedIn and TikTok. Nick also hosts one of the world's top 10% most popular podcasts called Rep Your Brand. As a podcast host, speaker, and creator, Nick constantly explores how B2B buyers and make decisions today and applies his learnings by serving as the Director of Evangelism and Customer Marketing at ALICE. He's, he still plays baseball competitively in his free time, loves New England sports, and spends time with his four-year-old daughter. Give him a follow on social if you want to up your game. All right, Nick, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here.
1: Same here. Uh, Our audience is mostly SaaS folks, SaaS marketers, and a lot of them would love to build the kind of personal brand that you've successfully built on LinkedIn and also on TikTok. And I've checked you out and I can see that you're now at over, I don't know, 40,000 plus followers per LinkedIn. It's really significant. What advice would you give to a SaaS marketer who wants to build their personal brand, both to support their company brand and also for their own career development?
0: I think it's no time like the present to start. It's like everyone is waiting for that sign or like, hey, when should I get started? You have stories to tell. It's just formulating your thoughts and putting them on paper. Just like anything, you know, we're, we're marketers. It's like we write blog posts, we write ad copy, we write email. Why not just take all of this stuff that you're doing and just share it in a different way? Medium, um, you know, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's Twitter, you know, TikTok, whatever, it's like you have all these things. Share your best practices, share your lessons learned, both failures or successes. There's so many people that don't realize the full potential of what this can be and the doors that it can open for someone. But I'm, I'm 100% telling you, and I can't tell you how many times I've, I've talked to this with other people, it's like, if you stay consistent, if you show up every single day, whether that means creating content, engaging with your community, finding your tribe, whatever it is, it's going to pay off in the long run. And when I started two and a half years ago now, it was more so to talk about field marketing because no one else was talking about it. It was a pandemic hobby. And it was literally March of 2020, right when the pandemic really started to happen within the US. And I remember like, My boss at the time was like, why don't you talk about field marketing? No one else talks about it. 650 million users on a platform and not one person talks about the benefits of a field marketer to a revenue organization and how it's more than just an event planner. I say, hey, why not? I love a competition. Again, it's the competitive nature in me. Um, And so I spent the first six months really talking about field marketing just lessons learned. It was like, you know, you're a subject matter expert in whatever it is you do being a marketer, entrepreneur, solopreneur, whatever you do, you have that subject matter expertise. It's just really sharing it with others and both successes and failures, because so many people on LinkedIn specifically paint this world as beautiful place and that no one, nothing they do is wrong. And that like everyone's making millions of dollars and we're all loving life, but like, they don't talk about all the failed campaigns, all of the failed projects that they worked on to get them to that point.
1: Mm -hmm. And are you posting every day? Is it something that you've built
0: into a daily habit? Yeah, so so right now I'm posting two times a day. So one time, Mm -hmm. usually right before like 9am my time, and then usually one time in the later afternoon. And this that that's new for me in 2022. I was just trying to see like, hey, I hated being limited or limiting myself to one time a day when I had more to say. And I was like, who's telling me that I can't post two times a day. And so I just started doing it. And I mean, it's worked out well, because only usually about only five to 10% of your following will see a LinkedIn post that you put out there. So what about all these others? You know, the other 90%, you could post probably 10 times in a day and it would be all different audiences that see it, you know, depending on what time you post it. Um, And I think that's important to know too.
1: Yeah. And I guess I've heard and I've experienced myself that it's a little bit like working out or going to the gym that eventually if you keep at it and you develop a daily habit, and a routine, it starts to flow. Uh, how long did it take you to reach this kind of f- state of flow, or where it felt like it became um, less of a chore and more uh, automatic?
0: So for me, I actually and I don't recommend this advice to anyone, but I I never wrote any content ideas down. I never pre-scheduled anything. I never spent more than five minutes writing a post because it was important to me. Because if I spent over five minutes, I would overanalyze something. And when I start to overanalyze someone being a very indecisive person, I start to get in my own head and I will never actually hit posts. So it was from day one, it was always important. Hey, I'm just gonna post it. I'm going to send it there's probably grammatical errors in there um now that i'm using grammarly it helps me make a little bit better but there's still run on sentences and i ramble at times but who cares that's what makes it authentic everyone thinks the perfect state is like it needs to be perfect Mm. i want authenticity and genuineness versus you know something that is ai or a robot written that there's no errors on like everyone's human we all make errors and i think it's okay to talk about that
1: And other than the, the posting, was there any other key to you getting so many followers in such a short period of time?
0: I, I think it was more so just starting a couple of years ago. I feel like LinkedIn has become more and more crowded. 1% of users created content two to three years ago. So say mm-hmm. at the time it was 650 million users, 1% of that, you do the math. I read something recently that was saying by the end of 2022, of users, which is now up to 810 million users, will create content on LinkedIn. That doesn't mean posting every day, just create content. I don't know what the the window is. But now Mm. in just two and a half, three years, that's a huge increase in the number of users that are creating content. Now think about by the end of 2023, that 4% could be up to 10%. Organic reach is going to get less and less. And it's going to become more and more noisy on this platform. And it's important. How do you stand out? How do you have a strong POV and narrative and stand for what you believe? in versus just adding to the sameness that everyone else is talking about. And I think that's how you could help grow your following as well.
1: Yeah. Where do you get your daily inspiration from? Are there days or mornings when you wake up and you think, I just don't have anything good to say today. Uh, I'm not feeling it. How do you recapture the groove
0: day in and day out? So yeah, it's, you know, it's really tough when you don't write anything down, I can tell you that. And I I need to probably like switch that up, because it's something where like, I actually don't even repurpose content a ton, which is another thing that you should do. Um, I've only done it, at least in 2022, probably like, 10, 20 times, which I know people that repurpose on a regular basis. For me, it's, it's kind of weird. But like, usually, I'll be taking a shower in the morning, I'll think of something, I'll try to remember what it was that I thought about by the time I get out and get to my phone, half the time I forget what it was. Or I'll try to like record like a voice note now so that I can like go back and listen to it. But it's, it's usually something that I just think spontaneously while I'm like usually just taking a shower. And it's kind of weird because that's where my best thoughts come. And it's something where I'm usually like thinking about something that happened to me the day before or a conversation I had with a customer or a prospect or a colleague or something that I saw in the comment section of either my own post or someone else's post. And like, wow, like I kind of agree with that. But like, I think I could add my own spin to that. And it's more so, I mean, everything on LinkedIn is regurgitated. Like there's no earth shattering information there. It's more so, how do you add your own spin on something?
1: Gotcha. Let's pivot over to account-based marketing. This is another area where you've had quite a lot of experience. And I think a lot of SaaS companies are trying to crack account-based marketing, in particular for their enterprise or sales-led motions. And I think of account-based marketing a little bit like whale hunting. In your experiences with it, what are some of the keys to success with account-based marketing?
0: I think making making your strategy full funnel is, is important. Like, And I'll give you a good example. When I joined Alice over a year and a half ago, I was brought on to build ABM from scratch. And there was a little bit of a baseline there, but the sales team didn't really know about it. They were so so green there and it was like, what can i do to build this so i worked with sales leadership our RevOps team and myself and we came up with the list and i feel like 50 percent of any abm strategy is like the list that's the hardest part why am i going after these accounts what are the accounts that i'm going after should they be falling under one to one one to few one to many and then just trying to figure out how that all lines up And so we finally got this list completed and I was able to crack into 70% of these accounts in a quarter and a half. So that sounds really great. Created a ton of pipeline with amazing logos. The issue is, one, when you're a strapped marketing team from a bandwidth and resource perspective, you forget about certain pieces. And so I was so focused on the creation of pipeline that I wasn't focused on the acceleration of pipeline. And so a lot of these deals fell through because I didn't have the right plays that were set up for acceleration. I didn't enable our BDR and sales team as best as I probably should have because I wanted Mm -hmm. to just the ground running. Um, And there was a lot of lessons learned that I probably could have done differently. We ultimately changed into a a V2 that got a little bit better. But this year, we actually dropped account based marketing, and we're now just calling it targeted marketing. And it's more so taking, you know, going back to the foundational stuff of like, what does a marketing qualified account look like? What does enablement look like? What are the few plays that we know we can run and run them really well at? Um, And it's not more so because again, you know, when you're a strapped team, it's not saying we need to do one to one to these 500 accounts, because that's just not going to work. It's more so like, all right, cool, we have these like 50 accounts, we want to create elevated experience. Experiences for these accounts? What can we do collectively to not only open the pipeline, accelerate it, make it a closed one deal, and then retain that account and expand it? And I think that's that's kind of been the, the focus now. Let's start at step one, what I consider
1: step one for ABM, which is building the list. Yeah. How big should the list be if you're a SaaS company I know that that's a tricky question, but what kind of a list, how how many companies were in your list initially and why did you choose that number and and how did you build the list?
0: Yeah, so it, it's definitely a good question. Look, I guess I'll preface it by saying, you know, we're a technically a marketing company. We sell to marketers, so people exactly mm-hmm. like me. So, like, it's a little bit easier when you're marketing to other marketers versus like cybersecurity, ID, um, things like that, or developers. So, for us, we never used MQLs in honestly for years here. We always based it off of the MQA. So, it was a little bit easier. And we used an intent platform to be able to, to capture all this information. We knew that the right target, accounts at the right part of the journey, but our sales team was focused on each person had 90 named accounts. That was kind of like their thing. We worked to then craft a top 20 list for each of these sales teams based on, there was like a criteria of five different things that they had to hit to basically become a top 20 account. And that top 20 account was where they would fall under more of the the one-to-many aspect of it. From mm-hmm. that top 20 list, and at the time we had about 10 sales reps or so, so that's 2000 accounts or so, a little over mm-hmm. that. Um, so the goal was to create this one-to-one list of a subset of the top you know 20 lists for each rep. And so in that one-to-one list, we tried to make it 50 accounts because again, it was myself and other resources in marketing, but like well, ABM wasn't like their only thing that they were doing. So we had 50 accounts ultimately that were in that one-to-one basis. And we really just, again, wanted to create elevated experiences. And it's a little bit easier when you work for a gifting and direct mail company, because that's usually a big part of strategy in ABM. And gifting and direct mail, I feel like it's a nice to have. It's not a must have, but it's a nice to have. But when you think about it as a amplification to your outbound marketing strategy, when you do ABM, it becomes that amplifier versus that silver bullet. And so then you have all of a sudden, you know, three, four channels that are running and you're starting to see success. And so that's kind of been our whole focus. All right, cool, we understand events, we understand email, we understand like the LinkedIn paid and search side of it, and we got the gifting side of it. We actually ran some some research that if we have five channels running, we saw almost a 6% higher increase um, in conversion. And it was just so interesting to see. And that's actually why we changed our entire narrative as a company, because there's no gifting or direct mail company out there that's focused on delivering like the outbound love, we call it. Like everyone hates outbound. It's broken. It's spam. I'm sure you get cold called and cold emailed all the time. It's Mm -hmm. not personal. It's not relevant. It's not thoughtful. And so we wanted to to help fix that and specifically into like the account-based motion.
1: You said five channels running in tandem. That's when you saw the uplift. what What are those five channels?
0: Yeah, so so direct mail uh, events and events like I'm not talking like trade shows, more so like our own hosted events, whether it's virtual in person, very intimate type things. Events have always been a huge driver for us. Uh, email and you know, so many people are like email's dead. Uh, I can tell you email is not dead. that's for sure. Um, the other one is paid and organic, actually which mm-hmm. organic, it helps to have a brand that people actually really enjoy. Um, people interact with our brand, our corporate handles all the time. So that's another big driver. And then search is, is another big one. And the last one, the fifth one would be actually content. And okay. so we started to really, really double down on the content aspect. And it made a huge, huge difference.
1: Yeah. Did you in some way arrange those channels into, into some kind of a journey? And you, you mentioned earlier that it's really key. For ABM, one of the keys to success is to have a full funnel. Obviously, if I think of search, whether that be paid search or organic search, I think that's bottom of the funnel or that's a late stage high intent. Whereas maybe some of your events or direct mail events and even email could all be more of the earlier stage. Did you map those channels out in terms of the, the journey stages or how did it
0: work? it was more so we kind of just focused on like we knew we had to create demand and capture the demand and we just kind of bucketed it through that but we broke Mm -hmm. it really down into four pillars so it was like know alice see alice meet alice and learn from alice like those were the four core pillars that we Mm -hmm. wanted someone to go through from a journey perspective and then there was the tactics that went along with it but we knew that if we could get the product in front of people and the right people at the right time um, and get to meet them at these events, it all played together and it, it came across as a way that was friendly and it was more so like even like personal, relevant, and thoughtful. And like I know I, I talked about that earlier, but we, we always talk about that because I feel like there's so much junk out there that isn't personal personal relevant and thoughtful. And it's like if you yeah. can focus on that, you really cut through the noise. Mm-hmm. Now, a
1: quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs and you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P.online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. You mentioned that corporate gift giving isn't a silver bullet, but it's an amplifier, and this could be a key differentiator. How many of the total addressable market that's out there, and let's think about SaaS companies, that's our primary audience. And any SaaS company, B2B SaaS company that has an outbound motion, that's most of them. How many, what percentage of that addressable market does some form of corporate gift giving in in any format?
0: It's a good question. So, I know, like, you know, the total addressable market is around like $262 billion, mm-hmm. believe it or not. And, like, from a B2B standpoint, because you have, you know, obviously you can go on Amazon, buy gifts, and send it out. But from a platform perspective, you know, it's a pretty large addressable market. Mm-hmm. And there's really five companies, maybe six now, that kind of play in this space. And, like, you know, it's us, it's Sendoso, Postal, Reach Desk, there's a Loop and Tie, um, Snack Magic, like, there's more. more companies starting to show up because they're realizing that the space is hot and like people want to surprise and delight across the entire funnel. There's actually 17 different uh, moments across the entire buyer's journey that you can use gifting. And so that's all the way from like Yeah, it's crazy and like, there's so much upside because people aren't using all 17 of those. And I I can tell you from our customer base, definitely they aren't using all 17 of those. So there's a lot of education in the market that needs to happen. But there's such a ripe opportunity to be able to leverage this because people want to do it. And I feel like if you're using a platform already, people are bought in, they get it, they see the value of it, they see how they can use it for ABM and so on. But if they're not using a platform already, you're actually going up against status quo. People just saying, all right, why can't I just buy something off Amazon or send someone a gift card or something? Like, why do I need a platform? to be able to send a gift out. That is a, not a cheap platform to, You know, on top of that. Yeah. And so it's, again, it's going back to like the inspiring and education of the market as a whole. I feel like, yo, I don't even know if we do a great job of that yet. I feel like everyone in this space could do a better job there, but it'll be interesting to see what happens.
1: So then Nick, what is the answer to that question? Why would I use a platform if I can go out and get a bunch of Amazon gift vouchers and spray them out?
0: it's more so if you want to scale and and not have someone be, you know, in the office packing boxes up, especially, you know, you see this at the holidays time. And I've talked to a lot of people they are like, you know, I sit in my my marketing closet and I have all the swag that I'm sending out to customers and prospects and I'm packing them up and writing like the shipping information manually. Like with a platform, you have everything. We have over 9,000 items in our marketplace right now that we directly integrate with other vendors. And so not Not only does it make it easy to go on and pick what you want and to deliver that to the end user, it's recipient first, so they have to opt in to receive the gift before you're just spamming and sending it to someone's home and not like knowing their home address from there it's giving someone the power of choice if i was to to say all right you know, i'm gonna send you a, a Phillies jacket let's just say and um you're like oh, i don't care about the phillies i want an astros jacket you could actually exchange the item to something that you want within the budget parameters that were set up or you can actually donate that gift to a charity of your choice so like say it was a 50 gift you can then donate that $50 to a charity of your choice. So we call it the, the power of choice, being able to give the, the end user that power to pick ultimately what they want because so many times we get you know, a mug or a pen or like socks that like just end up in the trash and we're contributing to the waste that's happening out there.
1: You mentioned, I'm gonna go back to another number that's stuck in my head, 17 touch points or seven, 17 unique gift giving opportunities along the whole buyer's journey. What are one or two of the most obvious ones and one or two of the least obvious the ones that might surprise our audience the most
0: so so the top two probably what the majority of people use are door openers just to break into to, to new accounts hey, you know I want to send you a gift, book a meeting with me um, and that's I would say the majority of the market out there that's what people are using it for mm-hmm. the second one is events either you're sending a hey join this event i'll send you a five dollar starbucks gift card or maybe it's a post event and it's in the email thank you so much for joining here's a 25 gift by the way would you love to take a meeting and you can receive another gift the events and kind of door openers are the top two the two that honestly i think that you should be leveraging on top of that is more so around the ability to focus on the customer and so many people obviously right now retention is incredibly important and in like in a down market how do we focus on like the nrr versus the ARR, and um, whether it's customer celebration, or to prevent churn, or to help with renewals, everyone wants to feel surprised and delighted, even if they're a customer of yours, why wouldn't you send them something like you're, you're using gifting and direct mail to acquire new clients, but what you really should be focusing on is the ones that you have. So that's the first one. The second one that I would say is around deal acceleration and you know when i say deal acceleration for me being a field marker for most of my life i was always focused on bottom and uh, middle and bottom of the funnel how can i accelerate these opportunities that the demand gen team brought into the top of funnel and again creative ways that are relevant thoughtful to break really not even break through cuz they know who you are it's just to close a deal quicker and there's a bunch of other ones like i could even say like content delivery if you're in like a developer space they love white papers How could you incentivize someone to read a white paper by leveraging gifting on top of that?
1: Yeah. Do you think it would be a good idea for me if I were to do outreach and try to get prospects onto a discovery call to give them, I don't know, let's say $20 gift voucher? Or is there a more creative way to do it?
0: I mean, you you definitely could do that. I ran LinkedIn ads last year, and it came from me, and I went to our target accounts, and I offered them a 30-minute meeting with me, no salesperson, in exchange for a gift card. Just like, hey, I'll give you a $50 gift card for your time. And I was able to drive 30 meetings in three weeks. And wow. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It it was incredibly successful. And it's, it wasn't anything hard. It was, again, people love free stuff. And like, yeah, were some of those tire kickers? Absolutely. They probably, you know, just took the gift card and didn't have any incentive to want to buy. But there was actually a few deals that closed from that. Mm-hmm. And I, I only spent $5,000 on, on the LinkedIn ads. And then, you know, for the, the 30... Yeah, it was, it, the spend was really nothing to be able to see, you know, when yeah. we, our typical deal size was at the time, you know, about 53 K. So, yeah.
1: well, that's, uh, I mean, incrementally that would just be about maybe a 15, 20% additional cost per click or something. So it, it apparently it worked. Well, then I have to ask this It's a little bit of a, maybe technical question. I'm sure you're not the one managing the paid search ads, but are, is everybody bidding on each other's brand names? Has it gotten to that point?
0: I believe it has. Yeah. I remember we have um, our growth marketer runs our paid in search now. And she was just telling me it's like, it's gotten crazy because you have all these like smaller companies that are coming up now. And what's really interesting, I think this could be the future of the space is like, you need to have a PLG model in this gifting and direct mail space versus like someone paying 20 to 30, 40 grand for a platform fee. Like, why do that when you could like sign up as an individual and just use as you go Um, or sign up as a company and get like a better deal? It's like, I think that could be the future.
1: Are you all all thinking about product-led growth? Over there
0: at Alice, we we've talked about it a little bit. Um, it's definitely not anything like you know short term. It's more longer mindset. And I I just think from a lot of people that I've talked to, I just think that that's the future. And you have some of these companies like a Loop and Tie or a Snack Magic that's more of like that PLG method. And I think that they're growing really quick because again, I think that's the way that people want to buy now. And um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how the next like year shakes out. Yeah. You mentioned that you all have a
1: data science team. What do they do? Do they work for marketing or do they do other other stuff?
0: They don't work for marketing. They actually roll up to our COO. And so they kind of just work on a lot of like the data analytics aspects of it in the background, running reports. I know they're in Looker all the time to be able to pull all these crazy things for customers, for prospects. And we actually, every year we put together a state of gifting report. And so we did it in 2020, 2021. And then we did for 2022, we want to release it in January of next year. But what we do is we analyze all of the data points that people have used our platform, like hundreds of thousands of data points. And we put together this report ungated and it just talks about why people are using gifting, here's how people are doing it, here's the top gifts that people are sending, here's the types of messages that they're leveraging, and we just put all this information in this one thing and it's by far our best asset I think of the year. Mm-hmm. So the next version's
1: coming out in January for
0: That's the goal. We're going to we're going to hopefully see may may push to February, but we'll see.
1: Yeah. So it's the state of, what is the title of that? So state
0: of gifting.
1: Yeah. State of gifting. Yeah. So in any, I think in any category, if you're writing the, the state of, the yeah. state of the category, and you've got to be one of the leaders, I think that's one way to really put your stake in the ground. Now with back to data science, this is all really interesting for us right now. Given that you've got loads and loads of data at your disposal about how people are using the platform, what they're gifting, how often, how frequently they're gifting, can you use that data to predict churn rates and lifetime value.
0: Yeah, I definitely think so. It's, I mean, I feel like it's only gotten better. And um, I think there's three or four people that are on that team right now. So, I mean, they're doing a ton of stuff. Like we can predict ROI in a really strong way right now for not only us, but for our customers too. So like we're trying to figure out how do we take these data science pieces and also roll it out as product features to our customer base so that Mm -hmm. they're seeing all the benefits from this so that they can say, all right, cool. I know I need to use Alice, and here's why. Um, yeah. Versus, you know, it's a budget item that's going to come up every year. Like, you know, hey, is that $40,000, $30,000 really worth it? I want you to be able to concretely say like, yes, and here's the three reasons why.
1: Mm-hmm. I suppose you all have loads of case studies that demonstrate uplift in uh, in retention, conversion rates,
0: acquisition, yeah. We, and when I took over like more of so the customer marketing side of it, I feel like as a marketer, like our stories, they were fluffy. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like mm-hmm. they, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. Six cents is a customer of ours. And the headline wrote like six cents sees 537% ROI increase. Now it, using gifting as a marketer, like I'd be like, wow, okay, I want to see what they did to get that number. But it doesn't actually describe the tactical pieces to get there. Mm. And so I said, all right, I want to redo these completely. And I want to make them playbook style. I want not only our current customers, but also prospects to see how across different use cases, our customers are best- coming across of usage of the product. And so they can kind of say, all right, cool. This company's about the same size as me. Here's five things that they did. I'm going to go and try to implement those myself. And when you get super tactical, people love those. And so we rolled out one of them so far. We have actually four more in the queue that I'm hopefully going to be getting out over the next two to three weeks. Um, But I'm really excited about those.
1: And let's bring this full circle back to ABM. How do you use those case studies I know you don't call it ABM anymore, but targeted, what what was it? Uh,
0: Targeted marketing, yeah.
1: Targeted marketing. So how do you use those case studies in the the targeted marketing campaigns? And if you're going to have only five, six, seven of them, they can only be so personalized.
0: How do you make that work? Yeah, we, we've stopped really like when we were doing like originally ABM, we tried to make everything like very personalized to these one to one accounts now. So we're just trying to loop everything into that one to many to the most part. Like we know where we win. We know kind of like that ICP where we it, it, if it can fit into that exact category, we'll win 95% of the deals. Um, and mm-hmm. so more so it's like, okay, cool. Right now we run a bi-weekly product email that goes to all of our end users uh, from our VP of CS that I write. And so we tie in specific tidbits from like these stories from there. We run them within some of the events that we're doing, We run them in paid to specific accounts that we're trying to win as well. We could probably leverage them in more places than we do right now. But again, we're just trying to make sure that we understand the foundational aspects of it so that we don't screw this up and kind of, I guess, overput the information out there so that people are sick of it. And we're trying to be strategic about it.
1: Yeah. So you've got, in terms of premium content assets, you've got the state of the asset, you've got these half a dozen or so great case studies. What are the premium content assets have you invested in, either for the targeted marketing approach or in general?
0: We, we released one around international gifting, which is incredibly important because what works in the, the US might be frowned upon in the UK, for example. And so yeah. we put together a international guide of gifting and like what works in China what works in all these different countries and that did extremely well because there's so many people that are gifting to different prospects and customers across all these different regions but sometimes they don't know that the regulations or like the types of things that are approved or frowned upon and that again we don't we don't gate any of our content We run it as a conversational page usually, so we use Drift for that. And again, you can go on our website, you could check out the report, the ebook, or whatever it is. If you want a PDF, then you pop in your email and kind of get it from there. But we, we were always under the impression, like, we don't want to gate any of our stuff, just give it away as much as we could and, like, make these pieces. And that was the international ones was really strong. There was one that we also did around legal like GDPR, like all these things, like how does that fit in? And it's something that people just assume you can send gifts and there's no like things or like, what should you be looking at? Uh, That was another huge piece.
1: Yeah, I was actually on the site and I noticed that the Data Protection Breakfast Club, I guess that it it could be a minefield because some people, especially if you're giving gifts to government officials, and that's probably just scratching the surface, but not everyone can receive gifts and you have to be careful. (laughs)
0: Yep, 100%. And that, again, it goes back to the lack of education somewhat in like the market. Like, if you yeah. invest, if your customer base or prospect base is like state and local education, and you're buying a $30,000 platform and you're like, oh, hold on, I can't send gifts to any of these people. Again, it's like there needs to be more education and need to do the research.
1: Yeah, really interesting. Well, This has been fantastic. And there's probably 100 other questions that I'd like to ask you, but we're running a little short on time now. But as we wrap up here, Nick, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I would have asked you? Or is there anything else that you feel that you'd like to share with our audience that you think can benefit them?
0: No, I mean, honestly, it was it was such a great conversation. I feel like it covered a lot of amazing things. The only other thing that I would say is if you have additional questions or, or want to chat more, you know, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, uh, shoot me a connection request, shoot me a DM. I, I try to respond to every single one of them.
1: Awesome. How many with the amount of activity and followers that you have, you must be getting I don't know, a dozen plus DMs a day. I mean, what kind of volume are you looking at there?
0: Yeah, there's a few dozen that come in every day. And the majority of them, and and I absolutely hate it, is like, you know, when you get that connection request, and then it's immediately you approve it. And it's like, hey, come buy my product. I say, yeah, it's, oh man. I've started to pitch those people back now. Mm -hmm. um, And like, then they just don't reply to me. And then I remove them as a connection. But a lot of people do reach out to me and like, hey, like, can I pick your brain? Or can I like, you know, reach out and like, you know, spend some time with you and like talk to you about this product? And like, it was easy when it was like one to two people a week that would like do that. And like, I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. But that's turned into like, sometimes like upwards of like 15 people a week asking for like 30 minutes. And like, it's tough to be able to dedicate time to that when I have, you know, a family, my regular job. And so I've started to, as much as I hate to do it, I've tried to like say no more, but it's helped from like a sanity perspective.
1: Yeah. That might be a sign that it's time for you to start your own agency or something. Yeah,
0: (laughs) we'll see what the future holds.
1: Yeah, cool. Well, let's leave it at that. And and so the best place to find and connect with you would be on LinkedIn, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's Nick, Nick Bennett, two N's and two T's, right?
0: Correct, yep. Awesome.
1: Nick, thanks so much for being with me. I really enjoyed the conversation. I've gained a whole new appreciation for gift giving and ABM and a lot of other stuff. So much for stuff. having me. So I'm really looking forward to keeping right. in touch. Take care. Right. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hophop.online. Have a great day.